when I played, I always felt, how does somebody stop me scoring over 90 minutes? I'm too switched on. I'm too thoughtful. And I will get chances, you know, because I used to do silly things like we might get a throw-in or something like that. And I'll talk to the centre-half just before the throw-in. Then I'll, then I'll go and just, you know, just switch him off. Welcome to the latest episode of Wearing the Red and Green. In this week's podcast, I speak to our former striker and manager, Dennis Green. Greeny was a prolific goalscorer at Stagmeadow, and as a manager, he guided the club back to Premier Division football, and also to our longest ever run in the FA Trophy. We discuss those days as a player, his highs as a manager, his regrets at leaving for Maidenhead, and just what made Windsor and Eton such a special club to be part of. I hope you enjoy the episode. Greeny, thanks so much for joining the podcast, mate. It's great to have you on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to you, mate. So what are you up to at the moment? Well, living in Lincolnshire, um, I sort of found my way up here because I was managing... Well, after managing down south, like um, Windsor and then Maidenhead, I went over to Spain for four years and I was coaching football for Charlton over in Spain. Right. And we had something like 12 teams in the Spanish league, like from under 18s down to under 10s. So that was when Alan Kerber, she was in charge of Charlton. And we had a programme over there for about three years. So so we had a programme over there for about three years. And, uh, you know, we're going away in summer tournaments and we're playing like Real Madrid and Barcelona, like under-12s, under-14s. So that was quite good. But when I went over there on the first year, at the end of my first year, Charlton got relegated from the Premier League. On the end of the second year, they got relegated straight again from the Championship to Division (laughs) 1 and they stopped the funding. So after the third year, I came back when the English parents didn't want to... They want to start paying five pounds up for their kids to train, but before that, Charlton put all the funding in. Yeah, so that was a bit of a an issue. So I ended up only being out there for three years. So enjoyed it out there with a the son and whatever else. But I then came back and I think initially I went to St Neots. Steve Lomas was managing St Neots, and I contacted the club and I went there initially as Steve Lomas's assistant. Then he buggered off at the end of the year. And they gave me the job, and then that started me off again. We had two um, back-to-back. Well there, didn't you? They had a- yeah, we had two back-to-back titles at St. Neots. And then I went to interview for the Boston job, came second um, to lack of grand jury. And then after 13 games, they sacked him because uh, results didn't go his way. And then the chairman, David Newton, phoned me up something like on a – Monday morning and said, do you want the job? And I said, okay. And I was managing on a Tuesday night against Gloucester. So then I had four really good years at Boston. So that's what brought me up here. And I've stayed up here. Love it. Love it. Listen, I want to start by um, looking back at some of your career pre-Windsor, actually, because obviously everyone knows you from your days at Windsor. But what were some of your highlights earlier in your career, in your earlier in your playing days? Um, well, we was like late developers in a sense, you know, because obviously, you know, I've got a twin brother. We was born six weeks premature. And right. when we left school, we was only like five foot two when we left school. And then we sprung up in the next year, like from 16, 17 to 18. So what it sort of meant is 
whatever academy we went to as players when we was younger, we was always too small. So we never really got any grounding with regards to going to play for like a Tottenham Academy or something like that. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So I went straight into non-league football and I started off with a local club called Sawbridgeworth, who was next to a place five minutes from Harlow in Essex where I was living. Yeah. And I was playing for their reserves at like 17. Then I started playing for the first team within about three months of being there. So now I was like 17, 18 playing for Sawbridgeworth in the Essex Senior League. So I was just playing local football with my mates. The lads I drunk with on a Saturday in the pub, half of them played for Sawbridgeworth. It was like a local football club. So I ended up spending too many years just enjoying myself playing local football at a really <laughs> poor level. And then I was, I think I was about 22 and I was playing for a team called Stanbridge in the Essex Senior League. Yeah. And the Chelmsford manager was managing, a, uh, the, the soon-to-be Chelmsford manager was managing a team in the Essex Senior League. And he got the Chelmsford City job and then he signed me from Stanbridge over to Chelmsford City. And that's really where it all started. And I was now probably like 23 stroke 24 and I've now started embarking on my non-league career at a proper football club. But if he wanted to come in for me, I'd probably still play an Essex Senior League football for like my whole career. But... I went to Chelmsford and it just snowballed from there. I banged a load of gold in for a couple of years at Chelmsford. Then Martin O'Neill paid 25 or grand for me and I went to Wickham Wanderers. So then I played for two and a half years at Wickham Wanderers, went to Dagenham and then I went to Finland. So, yeah, if it weren't for really getting that move to Chelmsford, I'd have probably just still been playing Essex Senior League football. Now you mentioned Martin O'Neill there. What were those Wickham days like? Oh, it was unbelievable. At that time, I can remember back because there was no mobile phones then. <laughs> and I used to sit underneath my stairs because our telephone for the, for our house was underneath yeah, yeah. the stairs in the landing. And I used to sit there for two or three hours at night waiting for this phone call ring because Martin had said that he's going to sign me, blah, blah, blah. In fact, I was playing for Chelmsford and we had a penalty shootout. I think it was against Grantham or Spalding or someone like that in um, some Lincolnshire Senior Cup. And he... One of his representatives come on the pitch while we're waiting to have our penalties taken. We're on the halfway line. The penalties come out. This fella sort of arrives next to me and says, Martin O'Neill wants to sign you at Wickham Wanderers. Can I have your number kind of thing? So, um, yeah, so that's how I first knew about it. So, like, we finished that penalty shootout. Um, so, Martin made contact with me and said he wanted to sign me. But within a week of him speaking to me, Chelmsford City went into a transfer embargo. So, then they couldn't sell anyone. Or they couldn't bring anybody in. So now I'm like three months waiting. Um, but Martin, to be fair to him, he kept in contact once every couple of weeks, something like that. And then when our embargo was lifted, literally the following week, he phoned me up. We met in the hotel with um, Gary Hill and, and the manager. And they, got, and they got the deal done. So, yeah, true, true's world. And I ended up got signing in February um, 1991. And I think my debut, I signed on the Monday. I think I played on the Tuesday against Boston United. <laughs> um, we won 2-0 or 2-1 and I scored two goals on the debut. So, yeah, great times at Wickham. Martin was fantastic. You know, an honest guy, motivator, old school, but really, really good. You know, you knew you had to work hard and, um, and play well because... And the team that we had that won the conference and come run at the first year, they would come runners up in the conference, then won it the second year. You know, we had like five or six forwards. So if yeah, you weren't yeah. on it, you you weren't getting a look in. So you really had to be on it all the time because there's a really powerful squad we had at Wickham at the time. Did you take much from Martin into your own management career? 
Yeah, I think so. We used to have chats in the stand. You know, I was quite dedicated at the time. And it, we used to have little chats with him, picking his brains all the time. And he used to go through what he used to look for in a play. You know, if, if I'm looking for a midfield player, for example, why would I get a midfield player that can tackle, can pass, but can't score? I want to get a midfield player that can tackle, can pass and can score. So he's, tick, he's ticking all the boxes. So it makes you think, you know, if I'm looking for a player in a certain area, it's no good just getting a winger that can cross. You need a winger that can track back. You need a winger yeah, that can... Yeah. And be yeah. strong. You need a winger that can do all the things that you want a winger to do because a lot of people might just look at a player and just think, oh, he's decent, he goes by people, but he's really causing you a problem out of possession, you know, because he's good at going forward, like Sean Dyke, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Dyke is great going forward, but once he's lost that ball, <clears throat> he's not too quick on getting backwards. But football's changed so much, you know, when you go back to them Windsor days when I was playing. I don't think really formations or out of possession was ever a thing that anybody ever spoke about. You know, because back in them days when we trained, it'd be we might have four orange cones and go out and train. And then this day and age now, you've got 24,000 little um, cones that they put down and all bibs are thrown on the floor and you've got all these different coloured cones and poles and everything else. So when it comes to coaching now, it's changed so much from when I was back back playing. I mean, I can remember at Wickham with Martin, we played not trained on after We just played seven asides every week. We didn't do set pieces. We didn't do out of possession. We didn't do in possession. We just turned up, done a warm-up, seven aside and went home. And that's all we done. Love but it. nowadays, it's so much different. You know, everyone's talking about low blocks and high press and it's all gone coaching manual. So it's so much different now, football. God, sometimes I bet you just wish you could Rewind the clock, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I just think at wins, it just used to be half the time, it's just get the ball, boot it forward, this guy and chase <laughs> after. I think that was pretty much most of my non league career. That's sort of like what the tactics were, you know what I mean? Big man up front, boot it forward and see what you can get out of it in the final third. Now it's like you've even got to sign a goalkeeper now that can play out from yeah, the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that's how it's changed so much. No one was ever bothered about a goalkeeper playing out from the back when we played. It was just get it and smash it up the pitch. Like to Evo or someone like that who's going to edit. And hopefully you'll get on a flick on. And yeah, football's just changed so much. Now listen, you obviously joined Windsor under Alan Davis. How yeah. did that move come about and what attracted you to Windsor? I don't know how the move come about and I don't know how because I, I really I thought the world of Alan he was really 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 looked after me and that's probably why I spent so long at Windsor mm. and got a feeling for the club but I really don't know who I was playing for and how he he got to come across me and persuaded me to travel all the way around the M25 <laughs> to go and play up at Windsor because obviously I was still living in Harlow and Bishop Stortford at the time Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I was travelling with traffic sometimes hour and a half to go training when generally I was playing around the Essex clubs where I only had 20 minutes, half hour to train. Now I've tracked myself all the way over to Windsor, but I really don't know. I can't remember where he signed me from. It was Wildstone. Uh, was it Wildstone? You come across the Ghana, Simon Ghana. That's right. So me and Garns are playing at Wildstone and then we came across to Windsor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. glad he signed in because he always had fags. <laughs> 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 now listen you so you had a three or four seasons at windsor as a player mm. uh what did you enjoy most about like you said you enjoyed windsor what what did you enjoy most at windsor and when you look back at your playing days what were some of your 
personal highlights. I think, you know, I was coming to the end of my career then because I might have joined Windsor, like, well, I don't know, 33, something like that. Yeah. So I was coming to the end. So there was no more real ambition left in me with regards to playing in the National Conference or something like that. But it was just, I joined a really good group of lads, you know, when you think of Fergie and some of the lads that were there at the time, Hilly, um, yeah. Franks, you know, there, there was loads of them there at the time. Really good group group of lads. So, you know, we'd stay after training and have a couple of beers, you know, after the match, you know, what we used to have a laugh after the match. So, with the supporters as well, I know there weren't many, but all of them were decent. All of them were yeah. social. And home or away, it was always a good time. So, I just really enjoyed playing for Windsor. So, and once you're there six months a year, it just becomes a routine and nice and easy. So, yeah, I end up travelling around that M25 in for about four or five years in the end. Now, I guess on some of the, the low points, you had that fallout with Byron where you ended yeah. up going on loan to Harlow. Then you came back. Then I think you left again. Then you came back. Like, what was the story on, on all that and how difficult was that particular well, I think Byron fell that I no longer had the legs to play in his team. Right. So another year to run on my contract, I was still in the current season, plus I had another year. And he just wanted me out the door. He just had visions of, you know, getting somebody else younger or whatever. So it wasn't personal. He just wanted me out of the team. So he'd done everything he could to annoy me to get me out of the team. And I weren't budging. I didn't want to go. But in the end, I, I think the sword that broke the camel's back was, we played a friendly pre-season over at uh, Wingate and Finchley. And we had about, I don't know, 19 players there playing this friendly. And um, it, I was on the bench for the friendly. And I think uh, everyone went on, barring me. And I think I went on about two minutes to go in a friendly. And I just thought, I'm a senior player. He's trying to take the, the biscuit now. So it's time to go. So that that's when I decided I was leaving because it was just getting beyond ridiculous. You know, you, you don't treat senior players like you treat me. It was making the other players uncomfortable, um, you know, because they wanted me to play and they wanted me in the team. But Byron had it that he wanted me out of the team. And that was it. So I left. And then um, I think halfway through that season, I think a few of the boys have gone to Byron because she was in a position where you had a chance of getting up. And I think they, you know, that persuaded him to bring me back. And that, you know, nothing had worked. So I remember my phone going, I run downstairs one morning, my phone went off and it was barring. And, and I was like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, you know, I want you to come back. So I sort of said to him, I can remember pretty much what I said. I basically said, look, Byron, I'll come back on the condition that I play every week, right? I'm not travelling around at any time and leaving the club I'm at to come up to you for you to mess me around again. I said, if I'm coming back, I'm playing and I'll come back. So I came back and I think I God knows how many goals I scored in that last part of the season, but we got promoted, didn't we? And what a promotion run that was like. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I think we were 12, 15 games unbeaten or something. Yeah, it was it was brilliant. So really pleased to get back and to top it off, you know, um, getting that promotion. And I think Byron got rid of me at the end of that season. <laughs> so he reverted back to type. Even though I'd come back and scored a load of goals and got helped get us promoted, he still decided he was getting me out the door. So he got me out the door um, at the end of that year. And then I came back as a manager, I think, 17 games in, and he had four points on the board. Talk about that appointment. Did you see that? Like, had, you, had your aspiration always been to go into management? I think it was, but I wasn't looking at that stage. Yeah. I was still 
I was 37 and still playing. I think I might have gone back to uh, Willstone. And then Kevin stopped phoning me out of the blue. You know, at that stage, you'd play 17 games. I remember it vividly. You'd won one, drew one, and lost 15. Bottom of the table. But the saving grace was no one got relegated that year. So I use it as an opportunity for me that I could have 20, 25 games in management where it didn't matter if we come bottom and I could learn my trade. Yeah. So it's an ideal opportunity to get into management, a club that I loved. So that's what I've done. I use that 25 games to make a load of mistakes, try and learn by your mistakes, build a team. And then the following year, what a year, you know, built an unbelievable team on a really small budget and had one of the most memorable seasons I've ever had in management. In that first year you mentioned, where obviously we couldn't get relegated, you managed to bring in people like Chippy and Shaggy. What yeah. was your sell to them at that time? Because clearly they were quality players. We're bottom of the table. Obviously, we couldn't go down. But what was your sell to them to, I guess, live to... I think it was just a bit of company banter. I think, like, you know, like most of the time, whenever I've spoken to players, um, whatever club I've managed, it's basically, look, if you want to come and enjoy your football come and play for us because I take match days and everything else, the football seriously, but you'll enjoy your football. You know, I'll get a good group of lads together. You'll enjoy the environment you're playing with. You won't be treated like kids and you will play better than what you normally do at other clubs. So the idea for me was to make players feel comfortable, get a style of play that they're going to enjoy, you know, not just bash it forward and let them enjoy their football. And like, I think like you see at Newcastle at the moment, a manager comes in and players that were ordinary 18 months ago are now flourishing. So if you get people in an environment that they want to turn up and train, they want to do well for not only themselves, the manager and their teammates, the supporters, you've got a chance of 11 people or 17 people on a match day all getting together and wanting to win for the club. You know, we never had any problems with subs. You know, if somebody was subbed, there was never any moaning. We had such a great group. And I think only in the end that we didn't win that league because we got a few injuries late on the key players like Scotty, stuff like that. But, you know, for me, we should have won the league because when we went down to Lewis and we beat Lewis 2-0, I think it was, yeah. we went about eight points clear of them. There might have only been 10 games left then, but that was the key game for us to win. We won it. We should have gone on to win the league. And as it happens, if we would have done, we could have gone into the conference out. Because it was Lewis two promotions, wasn't it? Two promotions, yeah, but we just obviously with our wage bill, it was so small. We had such a small group of players that once we lost two or three players, which we did at the end of that season, we just had a little poor run that just I think might come second or third in the end, but we still got promoted. Yeah. But it was frustrating that we didn't actually win the league. But unbelievable season, you know, you're probably going to mention in a minute about the FA Trophy yeah. and stuff like that. But great group of lads, you know, you know, some of the players in that group were, were fantastic for the level was at. Well, you managed to attract people like, as you said, you mentioned Scotty, but Dave Carroll, Jason Cousins. Incredible. Right, at Windsor. That's crazy. I know they're past their sell-by date, but lads that are winners throughout their career that have just won things that what they passed on to the younger players, you know, you can't turn up on a football pitch and play in that team if Jason Cousins is playing in the team unless you give it everything. I remember we went away to, oh, what team was it? Epsom or somewhere like that one Tuesday night and Jason Cousins had a go at me at half-time. 
<laughs> because I think it was losing 1-0. It was an important game. And I didn't quite get stuck into the lads to the liking that he would like me to. So he got stuck into the lads and he told me off for not getting <laughs> stuck into them. And we ended up winning the game 2-1. Uh, he politely said to me afterwards, there you go. I've done your job for you at half-time. <laughs> but no, you couldn't get away with nothing with Jason Cousins on the pitch. You know, Dave Cowell was completely different. He was just the silkiest player you ever see. Just glides around the football pitch. What he'd done for that football club was amazing. And Scotty was Scotty. You know, he couldn't chuck a bag of cement, but an absolute handful, and he can score your goals. Totally. Now, listen, you mentioned the trophy run. Talk us through the trophy run. Well, just incredible. You know, I can't, I, I couldn't even name all the games we had. It seemed like it just went on forever. Because um, obviously we have, we have to start so early. But when you start picking up, and w- w- I'd say like from Vauxhall Motors, I mean, I think we might have already been three or four games in by the time we yeah, got yeah, Vauxhall yeah. Motors. But we already knew from three months previous they'd already beaten Queen's Park Rangers in the okay. FA Cup. And now we've drawn this team that's going really well. Was that in the conference north at the time, like that equivalent? Yeah. Top. So, you know, we played against Vauxhall Motors. So we thought we was going to get a hide in. And if I can remember rightly, we played really well in the first game, but did we have floodlight failure or something like that? <laughs> we had floodlight failure when we was doing really well. And then we had to go and play the replay at their place when, you know, realistically, I know it's floodlight failure, no one's to blame, but so now we think we're going to their place. We've got absolutely no chance at their place. You know, we might have got away with it. They might have played bad in the first game. They're going to now rectify in the second game because they they know they've got to take us seriously. And we just blew them away in 30 minutes away at Vauxhall Motors. And their manager, uh, McCluskey, I think it was at the time, he came up to me in the bar and he said, Dennis, you're the best team I've seen for a long, long time. It was incredible. We just we blew them away in that 30 minutes. Rode our luck to keep a clean sheet because they put a bit of pressure on the second half. But... Yeah, just blew them away first off. What do you remember from Aylesbury in that next game and how gutting was that? Because we were the better team in that game. Yeah, Aylesbury, you know, what we was renowned for as well, I spent a lot of time working on set pieces and stuff like that. And in that first game, I mean, we could have had five goals from our set pieces, like from corners, little free kicks, little routines that we had. And yeah, how we drew that first game was by far the better team in that first game. And yeah, that was, that was criminal how we didn't come away with that with a win away from home. And then, I mean, even in the second game, was was the better team in the second game. And, and I think I remember rightly in that second game as well, did they have a man sent off in injury time? I mean, we might have had an extra yeah. player in injury time, if I remember rightly. And um, I think I came on a sub late on, I think about 10 or 15 minutes to go. And there was a chance somewhere at the back stick. I went what? diving in with my head and just couldn't quite, I just got there a little bit late and I couldn't quite get it back across goal. But... You know, that had been unbelievable. But, you know, going to that replay, it was already in the quarterfinal draw. And that was Gloucester or someone like that? Yeah, it was a, it was a, a winnable Thurrock. game. Thurrock or Gloucester. It might have been Thurrock, but it was certainly... I think it was Thurrock. They was, that was an easier game on paper than what yeah. ours we were. Because ours we were going well at the time in the league above. So, if we'd have got through that potentially... And Bursco won it that year, didn't they? Yeah, because if I remember rightly, the whole... The, to- the, the the competition just opened up like all yeah, the conference it opened up all out. the conference clubs that got knocked out for some reason and you had like there was Gloucester left um Burscoe Thurrock and you said hang on a minute we get through this if we get we can get through that we could join the semi-final but no I mean how we never won that game against Salisbury I don't know over the two games 
But, you know, we've gone so far and to make the quarterfinal draw when you're a Division 1 team is pretty much unheard of. You know, you get the odd Northern League print or the, a Premier Club might get to the final. But generally, it's a conference staff or national conference club nine times out of ten that's winning the trophy. Now, let's say... Um... Both as a player and a manager at Windsor, I always felt that you understood the rivalry that we had against Slough, and you had a you had a really you had a good record against them. What did those kind of derbies mean to you? Well, you know it means so much for the supporters. So there's sort of like there's an extra bit of fire in you, and you know being a goal scorer, you're taking the glory most of the time. So yeah. you know what I was like. I was always up for a bit of glory. So you know I always felt no matter. When I played, I always felt, how does somebody stop me scoring over 90 minutes? I'm too switched on, I'm too thoughtful, and I will get chances, you know, because I used to do silly things like, I'll, we might get a throw-in or something like that, and I'll talk to the centre-half just before the throw-in, then I'll, then I'll go, and it's just, you know, just switch him off, and then I'd move, and little things like that, like corners. You know, I'd do silly things in the box at corners that would just put people off for a split second and then you go and get across them. So, have the ball lands in that area. So, I always felt over 90 minutes, I was always going to get chance chance of scoring goals. So, we keep clean sheets. I always felt like I could score a goal. You know, I could strike the ball quite well from outside the box. I could take people on. And I always felt in the game, I'm going to get shots at goal. So, you just always, I always, that's how I always felt. You know, it didn't always happen. I didn't score, but there weren't many games where I didn't score. Yeah, 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 yeah. And was it true that once as a player you turned Slough down? Yeah. Did that... Was Alan Davis the manager then as well at Slough? I'm not yeah, sure. Well, I think he was manager of Slough, yeah. I think he might have been yeah. here at Slough. Yeah, yeah I, may, I may have turned Slough down at one stage when I was at Wickham and then coming away from Wickham, I might have turned Slough down. And then I couldn't, I couldn't go and sign for Slough, could I? Now, listen, midway through that following season, you obviously moved on to Maidenhead. Um, yeah. And I know we've spoken about that personally quite a few times. And you said it's one of your big regrets. Yeah. What was your thinking behind the move at the time? Was it it's Conference South football? Yeah, I think it's one of them that I started my journey in management. I felt comfortable where I was. And sometimes you don't get these opportunities. So it was conference oh, football. I had no opportunity to go up to the next level because I'm feeling at this stage, you know, I'm probably 38 years old. I'm thinking if I do well at Maidenhead, next thing you know, it's national conference. Now I'm getting into the league. I'm, I'm a manager in the league. I'm only young. I've just started. So if I don't take the opportunity, I could then be at Windsor for the next two or three years, you know, your Dave Carrolls are then gone, your Scotties are then gone, these are then gone. If we don't get them same players in, we can end up being down the bottom fight in relegation and nobody wants to give you a manager's job. Yeah. So sometimes I just felt at the time we was going well, I've been given an opportunity and don't forget when I go and meet Maidenhead, they painted me a completely different picture to what the club was actually, the state the club was actually in. So... Um, you know, I'm being talking about we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that, blah, blah, blah. And when I get there, nothing of that materialised. And I think four weeks after I joined there, I remember picking up the Maidenhead Echo and there was chains around the back gate on the photo saying that the club's being shut down. Now, I'm being told that 
they're doing this, that and the other. And next thing, no one's told me and there's pictures of the club shutting down. So, yes, obviously I regretted it then because we were still in the position in the league was in with the squad that we had. I think it was about ninth at the time. was having a good season that year that we could have possibly pushed on and I've left a club that I thought the world of. So, yes, I felt I'd done the right thing because of the levels that I was jumping, but I wasn't ex- exactly explained the situation or the ambition that Maidenhead had. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally, totally. And do you think if you would have stayed, like how far that side could have gone on to? Because obviously after you left, it it kind of fell apart. Yeah, it's difficult. Again, you know, it's like when I went to Sydney, it's, if you get your recruitment right, you've got a chance of success for two or three years. Because the problem is, as soon as you have success for two or three years, other clubs just take your players away from you. Mm. You know, if, if you can give a player £500 a week, and I can only give him £200 a week, he's not going to say, Dennis, I'm going to play for you for 200 even though they want to give me 500 Because that's another £1,200 a month in his pocket. So the problem is, like, again, when I was at Boston, when three years there, and at the end of my third year, every single player that was out of contract left and went to better clubs. Five of them turned pro. You know, Carl Pirjani um, just played for Stephen East, just knocked Aston Villa out the FA Cup. Um, Southwell went to Wickham. You know, they went off here and everywhere because once their contract expired, they could then go to where their agents now are. So the, that was a problem. So even if I'd have stuck at um, Windsor, to get out of that level, we probably need a bit more finance anyway. And to keep the players that I had that were young enough to improve, they're going to get be taken by other clubs. So it is difficult. You sort of like have a two-year spell that if you can get the players on a year or two-year contract, that's really, unless you're a big-budgeted team that you can, as one goes, you can bring another one in. It's very difficult to maintain that consistency. And support was just looking like when I was at Boston. Oh, well, we came fifth last year, so we should come higher next year. Well, that's yeah. not the case because I've lost four players. If I don't replace them with equally good players, we're a weaker team. But, you know, supporters just don't quite get it sometimes. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Listen, when you look back at your six or seven years at Windsor, what what did you enjoy most? Like, What made the club special to you? Well, people like yourselves, Geggy. You know, good, honest, proper people that you know when you turned up to the football club exactly what you were dealing with. You know, not too much backstabbing, not too much sniping. Win, lose or draw, the supporters are behind you. And it's a comfortable environment to be in. And then you can go in the bar afterwards and you can have a drink with them and enjoy yourself. You know, I've been to certain clubs where you manage them or whatever. You come in the bar and people can't look you in the eye. You've just lost a game of football. You're to blame. I can't even look at you. You know, they walk past you. So it was never like that at Windsor. It weren't like that at St. Neers. That was another fantastic yeah, club. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's what makes them, your kind of places special for players, managers, whatever, that you can go to your job on a Saturday and enjoy yourself and relax in the atmosphere that you're in. You can go train on a Tuesday and Thursday, enjoying your teammates and not that I don't like him or he shouldn't be playing or blah, blah, blah. You had a good group of players. And the same what we had at Windsor, we had at St. Neers. And that's, that's the way you've got to build success. Totally. And have you still got managerial aspirations now? Well, yes and no. If the right club come along, I would certainly do it. But chairmans are just, they're, they're so frustrating. You know, they don't allow you to do your job properly. Yeah. Most of them these days get into it as a trophy and want to pick your team and everything else. And they don't allow you to be successful after the time. You know, 
all the clubs I've managed that I've been successful at, the chairman said, get on with it. Yeah, Here's right. your yeah, budget. Yeah. You get on with it. Not when I go and sign a player, why are you signing? Why are you paying in that? Blah, blah, blah. The way I look at it, if you give me a two grand budget, I'll give my centre forward a thousand and spend the rest of it on the rest of the team if I thought that was the best way forward. Now, if we're a nice, solid team, our centre forward is getting 50 goals a year, we've got a chance of winning something. So you should be able to spend it how you want. And if you foul, then you're entitled to be sacked. But when you've got a budget and they're telling you how to budget your team, you can't build your team how you want to build your team. So you've got no chance of success. So I've had two or three clubs like that. But in the main, you know, I've been quite lucky when you look at but mm. I probably only managed about seven or eight clubs. But, you know, Windsor successful, Sydney successful, Boston successful. Um, you know, so in the in the main, if they allow you to do your job, you've got a chance of doing it. But if they don't, you know, like now you're going to a non-league club. If you don't win your first five games, you're already looking over your shoulder every minute sacked. You've only been there five weeks. You generally take over a team that's not performing. You're trying to get new players in. You're trying to build your own team. You're looking over your shoulder whether you're going to get the sack. So it's difficult. And sometimes you just think you don't need the act because you come back on a Saturday, your social media is rammed with everyone telling that you're an absolute useless whatever. And it just sometimes ain't worth the act. You know, I've had a good run here, 20 years, enjoyed all of it. Um so, yeah, unless it was the right club that could sort of get the fire burning and somebody that wants to, got a bit of ambition and will allow me to go and build a team, then I, I, maybe I would get them to go. But other than that, I'm not I'm not jumping at the chance. Are you doing sure. any um, scouting or anything? No, I'm, I'm, I'm out of it completely. I watch, I watch the odd games on a Saturday, um, but I'm generally into golf now. I play a lot of golf. Um, nice. play every Saturday and Sunday now I play golf. I hadn't played golf for about 25 years and then I got furloughed in the pandemic and I, was, I was joined the local golf club and I was playing golf every day for about five months. So <laughs> I ended up buying myself a set of clubs and now I'm addicted to golf. So yeah, I think if I got a manager's job, I'd be fuming that I couldn't play golf on a Saturday. Right, listen, I'm going to close with a bit of a quick fire round. Um, and as I say to everyone, it could be quick fire, but doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be easy questions. So first one, who, when you look back at Windsor again, who was the best player that you played with? Um, God, that's an hard one because... I didn't, I told you, know, you I'm easy. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm... Because I'm not talking, yeah, I'm not going to be talking about... I mean, Dave Carroll's the best player. Yeah. Right, say, yeah. but then when you think of what the player's done for the team, you're talking about what Cuzzo done with his, no one's going to mess around while I'm on the pitch. What Craig O'Connor done with his infectiousness, with his non-stop running. You know, what Brady could do with his left foot. So they all had their own contributions. But if you look at an all-round player, Dave Carroll had everything. Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, this one, when you look back at your career, the best strike partner you had? Probably Scotty at Wickham. Okay, yeah. I could see how you two would really complement each other. Yeah, because, you know, we had a really good relationship. I think when I first joined Wickham in February, I scored something like 14 goals in the three months between then and the end of the season. Scotty pretty much scored the same. And, you know, I think remember one article in the Wickham paper saying, like, there's duos, you've got Batman and Robin and blah, 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 and you've got Scott and Green kind of thing. We'd formed quite a formidable partnership between us at the, when I first joined the football club. 
So, yeah, I'll say probably Scotty overall, because if you look at Scotty at that time as well, I mean, I played with a lot of good strikers. Obviously, Scotty was never in Simon Garner's league, but Simon Garner was now 37, 38, 39 or whatever he was when he was playing. So, it's a hard comparison. If I'd have played up front with Garns when Garns was 28, then it'd have been a different story. I'd have probably said Simon Garner. But, yeah, when you look at Scotty, don't forget, you know, Scotty had played in the Premiership. You know, he got signed for Swindon, played in the Premier League. So, you know, you had a, a pretty decent strike at Norwich. So, you had a pretty decent strike come over there. You know, Carroll played probably 600 league games, you know, um, um Cousins at the back as well, Dave Carroll Cousins. So I think you're privileged at that time of some of the quality and strength for character that you had in that squad at the time. Very much so. All right. Again, career, toughest defender that you played against? Oh, toughest defender. I can't even... You know, when you're playing in a national conference, every one of them is hard as now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, So... Everyone that and the, the laws were different then. You could tackle from behind and you, you could do things that you could do, but probably Glyn Creaser, yeah, 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 yeah. Glyn Creaser was he was crafty, you know, he would have he would have his elbows in you without the ref realizing, but he could leave one on you. So I'd say Crease was, you know, he was as tough as what you're going to play against. I think I know the answer to this one best manager that you played under. <laughs> well, I've got to say, obviously, Martin O'Neill was a pretty decent manager, but John Steele was a good manager too at Dagenham. Um, you know, Alan Davis was a good manager in the sense that he treated everyone nicely. You know, he treated everyone properly. So, you know, he was a good manager. But obviously, you know, you're not going to get much better than Martin O'Neill. You know, he's he's been there, seen it and done it, and he's been successful. So I think Martin I probably learned the most from. Best player you've managed? Best player I've managed for ability is a player called Junior Canuda. I've heard of now, him. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you want to look him up on YouTube or something like that, I've never seen anything like it. I didn't. Is that when you were at St. Nits? I had him a couple of years at St. Nits. He's a London boy. Um, you know, majorly into God. Um, but I signed him, London lad. Don't know how I got old of him, but I had him for a couple of years at Sydney. Took him to Boston United. But what he couldn't do with a football, he was just a joy to watch. So, yeah, you give him the ball anywhere. If you one or two players around him and he's at the other side, he's a little drag back. He does all that foot-through football and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah. he was he was incredible. Um, so, yeah, I'll say ability. Well, Harry never went into the, the football. I think he had his religious beliefs, which probably stopped him going further than what he should have done because he devoted more time to that than what he did to yeah. get him where he should have gone in football. But, yeah, Junior Canuda, and if you asked anybody that knew him or played with him, they'd probably answer the same as well. He was incredible. Okay, final question. Who is the biggest influence in your career? Um, who is the biggest influence in my career? Probably Danny O'Leary at Chelmsford. Okay. Um, he was the manager that signed me from Stanbridge to Chelmsford. And if he wouldn't have signed me, like I say, I'd have probably still been playing Essex Senior League football or just playing local so I could quickly get down to the pub with mates again on a Saturday. So <laughs> he he took me to Chelmsford to play a proper standard of football, which was the equivalent to Conference South as it is now because there was no Conference over South. There was in the Beezer Owens Premier so I remember my first game for Chelmsford was away at Worcester. And I remember just 
looking around thinking, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. There was like 1,500 people there in this little tight ground. Then a couple of games later, we were in the first round of the FA Cup away at Barnet. And it's like, I think it took me about 10 games to get used to where I was because I was used to having a rope round the pitch in the Essex Senior League in front of 50 people. And that seemed every game I was playing was there was over a 1,000 people there. So I think him taking me to... Uh, I wouldn't have had a career if he wouldn't have took me to Chelmsford I wouldn't yeah. have had a career so with him taking me to Chelmsford I was, I was at Chelmsford for probably two two and a half seasons without his influence and his belief in me then I wouldn't have gone on to play for Wickham or Dagenham or whatever else so I think Danny O'Leary uh, um, taking me to Chelmsford was probably the biggest influence Listen Dennis thank you you've got an important place in the history of Windsor and Eaton so it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on tonight Cheers, buddy. They'll always be here, mate. Always look out for their results. And, you know, history is a long time. And hopefully one day they'll get themselves up to where they want to be. You never know. Some um, sh- uh, shake from Saudi will come over, visit the castle and think, oh, is there a football club here? I might buy that and I go and take over Windsor. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Listen, to everyone who's downloaded and listened, thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks with our next guest. Top man. Thanks, Geggy.